Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube. Welcome to Raising Equity. Today we're going to talk about kids of color in schools. We have these children and we've got to educate them, yet it often feels like there isn't a safe place to send them. And schools are where kids spend the most hours of the day. And so I wanted to talk to some parents about how they went through the decision of deciding where to send their kids to school. And thankfully, we also have a young person who's willing to talk to us about her experience being a young girl of color in a predominantly white school. So today, we're lucky enough to have with me one of my friends, Juliana Barrera. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I I really appreciate you coming. Sure thing. Um, So I actually wanted to maybe back up and just talk about, you know, you have two young girls. Mm -hmm. And how do you and your family, how do you identify in terms of race and ethnicity? Yeah. Um, Well, we identify as Latin, um, Latinos, uh, Hispanic, depending on which term you prefer. we are kind of a mixed bag. I am an immigrant um, from a young, young age race in this country. My husband is an immigrant from just a couple years ago. And so we uh, have a mixed bag in terms of um, how we kind of carry that experience in the family. Um, but immigration and being from and not being from is a constant conversation for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we are white, um, but this country has a whole different definition of white to begin with, different than what I've learned from different countries, how they carry um, the dif- how they differentiate white from black from mixed. Um, and in this country, there is white, but then there is um, white with a cultural difference, and that would be where we find ourselves. Um, and with that, I mean, I've I've talked to different folks who reject the whole Hispanic label. Sure, right, right. because not right. everyone is of Spain. That's right, right, that's right. Yeah, Latin Americans, we carry the brunt of um, being colonies. And so do we most identify with the European heritage that we undoubtedly all, most of us have, um, or Latin American, which is what I prefer, because it really speaks to um, the countries that we are most immediately from and where our cultures are from, um, clearly inherited a lot from the European uh, um traditions, but but still it's a whole different thing. My husband's from the Caribbean, I'm from the further south. And so even between us, we have differences in our cultures and uh, language. And uh, and so, you know, as a family, we negotiate this constantly and then really aware that we are raising two girls in this country. This is their homeland. This is not necessarily where they were born, but this is where they're being raised. And so they are of two worlds. Um, and what does that mean as they inherit both things from me and from my husband that are different and then they're dealing with and negotiating this being in this country, um, not to mention that we're in the Midwest, that doesn't offer a lot of differences. Yeah, I've, I've also heard from my friends who identify as Latinx or Latino or Latina mm-hmm. uh, and Asian that mm-hmm. St. Louis in particular in the Midwest feels so black and white. Yes, it is. It is, it is. that binary. That's right. It's really void of a bunch of um, thirds, right? And so we have pockets of the Bosnians, and there are some Latino, and there are um, pockets, but I, but they really feel like pockets because they don't necessarily uh, represent the city, nor are they mixed into the overall structure of, of what the identity of St. Louis is. It's black, and it's white, and it's tense. 
I was going to say, yeah, and it's not like it's kumbaya. <laughs> no, no. And so if there is a, a third other that identifies and would like to be a part of the conversation, it's really discouraging um, to bring it forward when you see that the um, the idea of race and class and, and ethnicity in the city is not well received. It's not a conversation that's easy to have. It's not easy to have. And and I've seen people get into this thing that I call the oppression Olympics, like who has it worse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. You know, and it's right. like, eh, we Nobody don't want to do that. Mm-mm. No, why would we want to play that game? Mm-mm. Yeah. But I think it speaks to voices that, are, that go unheard. And so you end up saying, well, no, but I had it rough and I had it rough and I need to be heard and I need to be heard. Um, to throw immigration and um, the Latina experience into that is, is tricky. Uh, I mean, it, you, and it's it's part of it. Of course, it right? is. Right? Like, sure. so sure. that's what frustrates me is that people want to try to. It almost feels like an oversimplification that they want to try to keep things simple. Yeah, and so then it muddies the water. It does, quote unquote, but it doesn't. Well, I think experientially, it ends up putting um, other people in the conundrum of what do we do with you? Right. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, we, my husband has a thicker accent, but. Um, the the rest of us, myself and my daughters, unless we open our mouth and share it, um, or we say our names, or something uh, occurs that would kind of give us away, we pass. Mm. And so that means that we are both um, 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 we're both kind of in the space of being able to keep that uh, our our culture, our ethnicity um, under wraps for a little while. But at some point, without a doubt, it comes out. Um, generally because we offer it and we carry it and uh, we speak Spanish at home. So if we're out in the world until we begin to speak as a family, people may not know. And you can literally see the moment when they, you know, kind of turn and wonder what just happened. Really? We just put you in it. And now I have to put you somewhere differently. Mm. Um, where are you from and how, and why are you so white? And wait a minute, but you speak English well. And wait a minute. And you can stare, see the questions coming and forming. Um, the best moments are when the conversations actually arise and somebody says something. But generally, you're, you're put in a place where you realize that they're not sure what to do with mm. you or where to place you because mm. you're not black and you're not white um, fully. And you're also not uh, what they would understand as a Latina. You know, they're expecting visually to see something different. And so then there are a lot of questions there around, well, wait but where are you from and how long have you been? Right. Almost a search to say, well, but you're actually really American. And so there's not a lot of uh, space to talk about, well, yes, but and. And. Um, some of these other things. Right. And so with all of that, it's clear that you all as a family have decided to grapple. Because I know plenty of people yes. who've decided not to and who've said, we can pass. That's good. I had a young yeah. a young man in my class in college uh, where we were talking about diversity and ethnicity and race. And, and he went home and asked some questions. Come to find out his name, his family, they were Mexican. Mm. But they had like taken out the two L, you know, they yeah. changed the pronunciation That's and right. all of this to cover yeah. the family history. Yeah. yeah. And so I just want a name, right? Like it's a decision to decide to keep your culture and your ethnicity yes. and to do that negotiation. Yes. Yes. And it's an uphill battle. It's a fight. And it's something you've got to be very conscious and aware of because there is not a larger, broader community that is going to take you in. Um, I'm aware that my girls speak Spanish at home and only at home. And so I have to be really firm on keeping the language alive and the culture alive and insisting that they not do what is most comfortable, which is to let the English infiltrate our communications. It does happen. 
But I'm aware that if they don't get it at home, then they're not going to get it anywhere else. Mm. Um, and that's something you want for them. Yes. Without a doubt. Yeah. 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 Sure. So then how did that play into where you chose to send them to school? Because I know that yeah. there are language immersion schools right. in the city. Right. And, right? Like, was this front of mind, culture, race, ethnicity, sure. language, yes. all of their, was that front of mind when you decided? Yeah. When they were young, before school age, we actually lived in a part of the city um, that was, well, in the county and didn't really like the school systems there. We were in New City and we had heard some uh, mixed bag of things and uh, the language immersion school had just begun. Um, here in the city. So we were of the few um, exceptional families that moved from the county into the city so that we could go to the language immersion school. And the girls, really what we most wanted was to affirm the language. Um, went back and forth. Do we send them to a third language? Will we cultivate Spanish at home and offer them? Because um, uh, they, they, the language immersion did French, Spanish, and Chinese. Uh, so do we offer them a third language and try to to um, kind of gamble with their Spanish, or do we really hone in on making sure that Spanish is almost as firm as the English? And we went that route. Um, and thankfully, because I think they would not have the Spanish that they have today, both orally, but also to uh, written and, and to be able to read as well as they do if they had not done the immersion process. So we moved into the city. Um, elementary went okay. And then in the middle school years, we hit, um, you know, it's just a different world. Um, both educationally, but at that point their language was firm in their Spanish. And um, so we moved them from the language immersion to um, an, an elementary school in the city and then also to the middle school here and then begun to, began to really see the tensions um, around what we had wanted in the beginning, which was to be immersed in a population that was mixed um, and then all that came with that. Uh, and the school systems were more difficult. The, the the culture of the school was more difficult. And both racially, where we thought we would find some solace, was actually much more aggressive really? than we'd realized. Um, so then that began to feel like, well, okay, how do we, what are we going to do? Um, how um, would you say it's different? Well, maybe just also a question about being at the immersion school. Yeah. I imagine the fact that they identified as Latina was... Uh, was that a positive factor at yeah. the language immersion school? For sure. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. In the culture of the school, it was really excellent. Most, mostly what, what, what I loved seeing was that the girls were so proud. Mm -hmm. They had a space. They had a, a broader community outside of the family where they could feel proud to be Latina, to share their language, to share their culture. And that felt really important at that age. Um, and so when we did transition them, we had some very real conversations around, well, what do we do now? with the responsibility that we have, both as parents, but also as young people, to protect and nurture and take care of your language. Did you talk to them explicitly? Sure. Yeah? Yeah, yeah we still do. Yeah. Um, and that I, I already speak Spanish. So if you're interested in keeping your Spanish alive, um, which it sounds like a choice, but there's not much choice, um, how do you go about doing that? And some of this is just in you. Uh, that means that you'll have to learn to switch between the languages um, you'll have to be able to understand things like code switching and when you do that and why you do that. So a lot of conversations around what well, does that mean that I'm fake? Um, oh, right. Because it's intentional. It feels like uh, uh, maybe like a mask. And so, well, no, it's not fakeness, though I can see how you would get there. Um, but it is something that you turn on and off and that you have to uh, titrate depending on who you're with and where you are. Mm -hmm. um, and also the hostility that may come and so moments that you might want to switch it off. We've been publicly told by strangers to um, to speak English because we're in the States now. And 
And so, you know, how do you then decide um, for safety or for whatever reasons to keep your Spanish under wraps? Right. Um, and then other times when you use it with intention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that even as like before we were talking, <clears throat> when you all were started to speak Spanish, someone said sorry. And I was like, don't say sorry. We always like, do. <laughs> don't apologize. Right. We always <laughs> apologize because there is a reality that you have the advantage of another language and people generally are really uncomfortable. And so while well, you're... Well, they should learn another language. They should. They should. But in the meantime, you don't want... Right? You, this, is the, this is the titration. You don't want to necessarily... Um, make people feel uncomfortable. But is that making people feel uncomfortable or people choosing to be uncomfortable? Because in that moment, I did not feel any discomfort about the family communication. You did not. But But other people. Right, right. And so then the question is, whose responsibility is it? That's what I'm really going. Is it ours or is it theirs? I, I, quite frankly, I go back and forth. There are days that I will apologize and I'll explain and then I'll continue to speak in Spanish. Or other days that I'll do it in English and other days I don't say anything and I don't really feel apologetic and I just do what I got to do. Um, I think just based on how much I have to give that day mm-hmm. with respect to that. But it's an mm-hmm. ongoing conversation and there are intentional, maybe not conscious, but intentional choices that you're making mm-hmm. every day. Um, and there are spaces when it just feels much easier to do and people with whom you feel much easier, much more ease um, mm-hmm. in doing it with and others you don't. And that, of course, molds your decisions around friends and socializing and right. um and all of that. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like these conversations like you said are ongoing yeah. and you're you're talking to your daughters about what it means to be Latina and the choices that sure. they make. Mm-hmm. So is it often you bringing the conversation to them or are there times when they will share well this happened at school today and right? Like how yeah. does it how does it usually flow? Um it, I think it was much more uh, um, one-sided when they were younger and now in middle school, uh, they're seeing, um, they're, they're, they're just experiencing more personal backlash from friends and that they were peers. Um, so now it's coming mo- more from them and their experiences and they'll come home and say, Hey mommy, today this happened. Or, um, at school I, uh, offered this in, in this, um, report that I wrote or in this, uh, moment that I tried to share, or just maybe even in the food that I brought. Um, for lunch. And this gener- this conversation was generated. Um, and, m- you know, my kids, we also talk a lot about politics. And so they, these things get mixed together as um, the country currently makes the kind of choices they do on policy and immigration and such. And so these things get woven together. I think they're having those conversations with their friends mm-hmm. um, and receiving a mixed bag of responses. And so they will come home and we'll try to process, you know, what did they say? What were they saying with that that they didn't say? And uh, what do you say back? Yeah. Did these conversations happen more now that you're in the county with them in schools and predominantly white schools or yes. did it, in the city when it was more integrated racially? Yeah. It feels like it's happening more in the predominantly white schools. Okay. Um, predominantly black, I think, uh, which was the school uh, my eldest was in uh, prior to being now in, in the county. And um, the topics were had, but I think there was more consensus. There was more agreement. There mm. was uh, still some some difficulties culturally, but um, I think most people understood um, things around oppression and um, how policy impacts uh, certain populations and, and not others. And so the conversations felt um, kind of more people speaking uh, with common minds, common common ideology. Uh, Clayton, there's been a pushback that has been really quite. Uh, interesting to watch and that I think we knew would be there, but we didn't quite realize would be 
so aggressively charged with the, within the kids. I was going to ask, with the kids or with the adults? With the kids. Really? I thought it would be much more uh, teacher. I had heard, I have some friends in education and had um, uh, sought their counsel when we made this decision. And they uh, said, you know, just be aware that this, uh, that the the county schools struggle with this and they're going to be, um, your, your girls are going to have a much harder time negotiating this. And to be really honest, I thought, ah, we'll be fine. I didn't, I think I downplayed it in my mind. Mm. Um, and then, you know, over the course of that first year that we've just now finished, mm-hmm. come to see, oh, these children, uh, it's not the kids, it's not the school system um, as much. It's the children that are bringing these challenges to the school that doesn't quite have the tools to um, help these kids through this. Hmm. Can you and, give me some examples of how it's come up? Um, let's see. Um, you know, uh, my daughter, my sixth grade, uh, my sixth grader, now seventh grader, um, they were having an immigration day at school and something that the school has um, done annually. And it's uh, as I came to know more about it, it's actually quite a, a nice um, activity. But it's a day-long activity where the children are asked to come dressed as and kind of personify uh, some immigrant population um, from back in Ellis Island and and when the country first began to be populated by immigrants. And so it's a whole day of trying to get into America um, mm. and the plight of the immigrant. And so at first she's told me about this and said, mommy, I have to dress this way and we're going to, um, they told us to wear kind of dreary clothes and they, you know, said that we should um, look a certain way and act a certain way. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I went to school really heated and said, hey, I'm having an issue with this and I'm not sure um, that you guys are, you know, I, 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 I kind of lost my my mind for a second there. I might have been right next to you. Yeah, and I said, you know, this is um, this is not blackface, but this feels awfully um, um, intrusive and it's objectifying, objectifying, and it feels like something that you're asking these kids to stretch their minds in all directions, and I'm not sure you're understanding. And so we had some conversations with the administration at the staff. Then I continued my conversation with my daughter and trying to understand how she was seeing it. She was much more upset about it at the beginning as I was. And then together we began to understand what the objective of the school, why educationally, what they were trying to do. What were they trying to do? I think they're trying, I think they're trying to, um, to give the children a lived experience of what, of how both the challenges and the hope and the, the kind of the determination of, um, the immigrants that first settled here and how it was for them to be able to try with all their hopes and their fears to make it in, um, to the United States and, and, um, my sense is that they want to uh, create an empathic experience for that process. Um, p- part of what I ended up having, the conversation I ended up having with the administration, was just how um, perhaps unprepared they were for the present day. You know, you're talking about past experiences as if they're past. Um, these experiences are not past and not in today's America. And uh, for our family, they're not. The The policies that are being passed directly affect our um, extended family and our possibilities and our choices. So these are um, wounds that are still open, and you're asking to children to kind of um, involve themselves in the practice of something that was without quite considering that it's really still alive for them today. That's what I was thinking of, mm-hmm. of when you said an immigration day. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, are they are they trying to play out what's happening now? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. They're no. going to wax poetic about what was. That's right. But there's no way to keep, I mean, these are middle schoolers, yeah. right? Yeah. So they know what's happening in the world somewhat. Yes. And they're going to mimic. Yes. And yes. parrot. Yes. Some of the hate. Yes. 
Three years ago, four years ago, six years ago, I think this immigration day would have looked very different than it does today. Because I don't think uh, these discussions, while still prominent in our minds, socially um, and kind of on a, on, a, on a broader scale, I don't think we were as aware as perhaps I'm hoping we are now of how problematic these things really are. And so this administration, I think, has brought light to some of that, and it's um, intensified some of the fear and some of the concern um, for everybody around it. And I'm not sure that the school system has kept up with how this feels today for these children today. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think they would like to continue to believe that this is a past lived experience, and it's not. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's not. And uh, there is a way in which as a professor, you know, there are times where I'll pull out a syllabus from a year or so ago if mm -hmm. I haven't taught a class, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And some things don't change. Yeah. Like yeah. there are some just core texts and basic things that don't change. And so you can change the date, but this is not one of them. No. This no. is not one of them. It's evolving. It is. Yeah, and devolving perhaps. And it's, it's um, and I think it requires ongoing conversation. So I don't think they had prepared the students uh, for the day. And I'm not sure that the, the teachers themselves had quite... Um, taken stock of, of the importance of what they were presenting, they might have missed a great opportunity to have depth, more in-depth conversations around it. And we're probably underestimating the conversations it was spurring for some families. That's right. At home. That's right. Right? Like to think yeah. about the population of students that they have and to maybe give a heads up to the parents. Sure. Sure. Right? And so to perhaps invite a different uh, take on it before they began to act on it. Yeah. So that the conversation, the words, the, the kind of the symbolizing efforts would have included present day conversations more than just um, uh, kind of a historical, let's revisit history. Although I wonder if they would have had the guts to do it, yeah. to make it present day, to, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. how did it end up? How did your daughter handle it? How did you well, handle it? She, uh, we spoke with the administration where I, I'd like to um, continue my talks with them. I uh, do not doubt that more examples and more moments will come up for more conversations. So I'm more prepared now um, I, I also take a position uh, of attempting to be an ally with the school. So I, I really hope to continue to be in their ear in the way of um, expanding their perspective rather than attacking, which is what my first instinct is, is to come in and say, hey, you guys, you guys missed the boat on this. Um, but to do it in a way that allows for, let me help you understand. And we're back at the question, whose responsibility is it? That's a lot of energy. And, and sure I, I do believe that people underestimate being parents of kids of color, mm -hmm. the extra work it takes That's to right. be in the school and to be an ally rather than an adversary. Yep. And there are times where you can be all types of ally. That's right. And they only see it as That's adversary. Right. That's right. I mean, it That's feels right. like a whole nother job. It is. It is. It, it, and, and as you mentioned before, if you choose to take it on, at least the way I see it, you really have to take it on. And that means that sometimes you, you've got to do the work, even though you're exhausted. And uh, I think ultimately, uh, my daughter went through the day and got through it and did okay. Could there have been a, a richer experience for her? Could she have felt more, more, most identified? Um, I think so. I think her code switching abilities at that point allows her to say, okay, right now, it's not the time for this other side of me. And that's unfortunate. Ugh. Because it ends up being a very personal internal process that I don't think she could share with her classmates in, a, in the way I wish they could have.
Yeah. I mean, that makes me, it makes me sad, not just for her in terms of her own development to be able to like, or to feel like she has to compartmentalize. Cause sure. I feel like code switching is different than compartmentalizing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't want her to have to compartmentalize part of herself. And then it's a loss in the educational space. Like the benefit of diversity only happens when people can be their full selves. If yes. we, if we have diversity and, in, in whatever way, but people don't feel like they can contribute the aspect of themselves that brings the difference. Yeah. Then we don't, we don't get it. We don't benefit from it. Right. So it was a loss in terms of what the other children might've been able to experience. And not that we want to like have them have to experience something through her pain, but Mm -hmm. even just her sharing. Yeah. It's a loss in terms of the teacher, lost opportunity to to leverage what she has in the room yeah. rather than just rely on her voice yeah. to be yeah. centered. I'm saying she, he, mm-hmm. the teacher, sure. the teacher's voice. Sure. Um, so that's something that I think about in terms of like how we help our children navigate being in predominantly white spaces. Mm-hmm. We want them to be able to navigate them, but we don't want them to shrink themselves or to have to like cut parts of themselves out. Mm-hmm. And yet there are times when it would be easier, it would facilitate. Yeah. I don't have the answer. It's tough. And I think it comes back to it depends. You know, do you have it in you that day? Um, Does it feel like a safe enough place where you can bring this up? And if it doesn't, don't. Right. Because it's not, um, uh, it's it's not a far-fetched idea that it could go quickly wrong and that you could end up really hurt and... um, uh, uh, you know, ruffling feathers is one thing, but another thing is to kind of ostracize yourself and put yourself in a position. So, um, you know, h- how do you talk about who you are um, in a safe place? And how do you make it safe if it doesn't always feel safe? And yet, I, I don't want it to have to be our children's responsibility to make it safe, mm-hmm. right? Like, why should they have to have be the ones that do That's the right. spoonful, spoonful of sugar, right? That's the thing that I yeah. struggle with with schools. It's like we, as as parents of kids of color, it's a, in a way we almost have to prepare them to take on roles that the adults should be taking on yes. in terms of taking care of their own yes. self, their own emotions, yes. their own, um, like just caring for themselves. And w- I would like to say that the adults in the room in the space are going to be looking out for them, but they often don't even see it. They don't to, see it. To know. They don't see it. The majority don't see it. And so not only are they missing the cues, but they don't have the hunger within them to pursue that type of conversation, let alone identify it and know how to nurture it in, in the young people they work with. And so they miss, um, they miss the boat. They miss the opportunities. Uh, and I'm not sure that, uh, and, and this isn't true for all uh, teachers. I've come across some teachers and some administrative uh, personnel that are really just quite amazing in the way that they're trying and they're, you can see them attempting and trying and you can see the neurons firing and it's really exciting um, and then, you know, I, I know there are other teachers that I'm not sure how to, how to, how to even inspire this curiosity in them, um, uh, you know, let alone express how I hope they would treat uh, my girls and, and other kids who have this richness that they can share and could make, uh, could, could be to everybody's benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least I think yeah. it would be. Um, I'm not sure that position is shared yeah. by everybody. And that's why it's exciting to see. Like you said, some things firing, Mm -hmm. some neurons firing, Mm -hmm. uh, some fires sparking, however you want to think about it, in the region around racial equity in the schools. Yeah. There are some schools that are doing it well. There are some schools that, um, you know, are trying to Mm -hmm. do things better. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and that's exciting that it's even a, to- a topic of conversation that's not seen as totally out of the mainstream. Yeah. It gives a little bit of hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I, I sometimes I get the sense it's a bit illusory. It doesn't, it looks like it is, and I'm not sure if it actually is, but it's, it's in the conversation. And um, I think it mixes with other things like bullying and uh, developmentally the tasks, the, the things that teenagers and adolescents are challenged with. And so it gets really murky. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a time when you're really defining who you are and who others are. And how do I go about being myself? I'm not sure who I am yet, um, but I'm trying to figure that out. And then you have this cultural, ethnic um, language piece that um, that just makes it even tougher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you were to give some advice to parents of other kids of color, in particular other Latina kids, like what would you share with them that has worked? Or what lessons have you learned from things that have not worked well? Right, right. Um, I, you know, I think the position of trying to be an ally and trying to, um, do the difficult task of, of being in their ear and insisting that your position be heard, um, is important. You've got to, you've got to put the work in and you've got to, uh, stay, um, visible because if not, if it's, if it's an easy, it, it may be easier for everybody that, as you're saying, you kind of compartmentalize and you learn how, how and when to not be. Um, I, I'm intrigued by I, I, how, how do you be in a multiple way and with, how do we encourage multiplicity? Um, and, you know, what, if parents have it in them to keep in their children's ear and to keep in the school's ear um, as a way of expanding thoughts um, and, and um, at home preparing these conversations both for your family and how, what it means to you culturally, but also what do we learn about the rest of the country and how... Um, others, other others are going about the world and trying to figure out their own path. Um, you'll see a lot more similarities than you do differences there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try to, uh, to speak to that so they don't feel quite so alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about uh, just that added layer around you know, staying in their ear and the added layer that language would bring, right? That's not an experience that I have. And right. So I feel like I try to, whether it's through documentaries or exhibits or yeah. things to like keep our culture and our history um, there because it's yeah. not as, uh, it's not as, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not, it's mainstream in the education that they sure. experience. No, right? no, it's not. Um, but I, 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 I just, I can imagine that extra like layer of like, no, I actually need you to have this language so we can communicate. So you can communicate with That's your right. family. That's right. So that you can Grandma doesn't be- speak English. So our great grandma doesn't speak English. So this is a must. Um, and and the world is a much broader place for you. In a way, it's so arrogant of uh, as Americans that like we would expect everyone to speak English. Sure. Right. Like you're giving them a tool that will serve sure. them. But it's hard to see that because you're in this microcosm of America that. Yeah is so arrogant around language. Yeah, yeah. And in a space like this, you know, if we were in New York City, it may feel much differently. I was raised in Los Angeles. Spanish was quite not only accepted, but promoted and and used. It was a beautiful kind of exchange. But we're in the middle of the Midwest. And so here, um, while they are here and they're being raised here, uh, there's a sense of, you know, I almost feel like whispering like, you know, the world's bigger. You'll you'll get out there at some point and you're going to have your Spanish in your back pocket. And whether you're with others who speak Spanish or not is not the point. 
you'll have seen the world from a different angle and you'll be able to, uh, you know, understand how verbs get conjugated differently and understand why uh, Italians and, and Portuguese, you'll be able to pick things up. Not that, that you are, um, you, uh, you know, you won't become French, you won't become Italian, but you'll, you'll be uh, aware that the world's bigger and that there are similarities with people um, that you wouldn't have <laughs> experienced growing up in the same way. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, trying to give them the fact that there is a lot more out in the world and there are a lot of people with a lot of different ways of living. Um, I think St. Louis is still struggling to figure out how to include, if to include uh, those people and then what to do with those of us who are here and will be here. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're making me feel like we should have a parent, a, like a parent support group, mm -hmm. really, to help each I think other navigate. That's a great idea, actually. Um, I think there is something around community that feels really overwhelming when you feel really alone. And um, some of these things are private to families and, and to each, how each family carries their own culture. But some of it really, I think, could benefit from being a community endeavor and feeling, oh, God, there are others who feel and carry this perhaps differently, but in a similar way. Let's share how we've done it and, you know, how do you find the courage to do this or the strength or the energy. Yeah. Or even be allies in the sense that I could speak to something that you might feel like, oh, I'm going to be saying the same thing mm -hmm. all over again. Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. I might feel like I feel like I've been a broken record. That's and right. Yeah. So you can share each other's struggle in a sense. Yep. yep. Um, yeah. I think that's worth thinking about. Yeah. I, I've learned a lot from um, listening to my black peers and mothers and friends and in, in their own plight. It's not the same. But I learn a lot. Uh, from coming to understand how it is other people carry this the sense of otherness in a country that would like to make everybody the same. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's an ongoing conversation, I think, for all of us. And my girls will take it in their own lives, uh, in whatever area, however it is that they, they will, they'll take it in their own way. Yeah. Well, um, I appreciate you sitting and talking with me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Thank you for joining me on Raising Equity. Remember, this is part of a larger story. So come back and listen to Juliana's partner and her daughter to hear about how families navigate being people of color in predominantly white spaces. Thank you for joining me on Raising Equity.